Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um, I just went out and I found my, my wife in our hot tub. Mm-hmm. And I think she's yeah. dead. Okay. We had sexual relations in the hot tub. And you left that she was going to stay in for a while? Yeah. When a serious crime is committed in a small town, a handful of detectives are charged with solving the case. I'm Yardley, and I'm fascinated by these stories. So I invited my friends, Detectives Dan and Dave, to help me gather the best true crime cases from around the country and have the men and women who investigated them tell us how it happened. I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. We're identical twins from small town USA. Dave investigated sex crimes and crimes against children. He's now a patrol sergeant at his police department. Dan investigated violent crimes. He's now retired. Together, we have more than two decades' experience and have worked hundreds of cases. We've altered names, places, relationships, and certain details in these cases to maintain the privacy of the victims and their families. So we ask you to join us in protecting their true identities as well as the locations of these crimes out of respect for everyone involved. Thank you. Today on Small Town Dicks, it's a very big day. Not only do we have the band all together, I have Detective Dave. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. And I have Detective Dan. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Thanks for showing up. I came with you. (laughs) True. And we have two of our original guests from season one. George just keeps getting promoted, so I'm not even sure what to call you now. Don't get me fucking started with that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. He used his veterans points and got promoted to lieutenant. Sorry I interrupted. First, he started out with us as Detective George. Then he went to Sergeant George. And now he's Lieutenant George. Hello, everybody. Hi, George. (laughs) Poor George. Were you been a sergeant for a year? Two years. Oh. (laughs) I thought it was like six months. Anyhow. And we have our big silverback gorilla who we adore, who started us out on the podcast in season one as well. We have Sergeant David. Oh, good to be back. Thank you for coming back. This really is exciting. I mean, when you have your favorite guests together and you have the band all together, it's a pretty big day. So, gentlemen, George and Sergeant David, you have a great case for us today. So I'm just going to stop talking and let you take it away. Okay, well, I was the detective sergeant when this case came out. And as per usual, my phone rings in off hours. I remember this was a Sunday night, and my phone rang about 10.30 at night. And it was a patrol sergeant who was telling me they're out on a dead person. And the person had, according to him, drank too much and drowned in a hot tub or had a seizure of some sort. Didn't suspect anything foul. The victim, her name was Paula. She was a professional woman who lived in a nice neighborhood. Her husband was home at the time, and her husband was named Randy which that started my wheels turning a little bit, like, okay, he's home and she's in the hot tub and she's dead. And I asked the usual question, who else is there and what are you looking at? And he said, well, she's out of the hot tub because he tried to revive her, but uh, she's dead. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to send a detective in to help you with the scene. And so I called one of my detectives to have him go in with the instructions, like, if something comes up, please call me and tell me what you've figured out what might be happening or is happening. So about an hour and a half later, I get a call from this detective, and he kind of tells me the situation, which I don't like. I don't like what I'm hearing. 
And he said he looked at Paula's body and didn't see any marks or anything like that. There was nothing out of the ordinary to him. So I said, well, talk to Randy and see if he'll come down to the station and talk to us about the night. Kind of low-key it, let him know that we want to talk to him about what kind of things were leading up to her going to the hot tub and then him finding her dead. So he did, and I went down to the station, and we were sitting down talking to Randy. He's a normal-looking guy. He wasn't, you know, a career criminal. He didn't have any real record. Didn't know much about him at the time. He acted somewhat inappropriate in my view of things. He was not really that sad about things. He was just kind of like he was come to terms with it pretty fast. So in the course of talking to Randy, my little voice in my head or whatever you want to call it saying, there's something wrong with this guy. I mean, there's something not right with what he's saying. I'm not believing that he just found his wife, passed out. He said she had a couple glasses of wine and that she had fallen asleep in a hot tub and drowned or else had some kind of seizure, which she had never had before. So he was wearing a long sleeve button up shirt at the time. So I said, well, we want to take some photographs of you to make sure that we uh, know everything. And he goes, sure. And I had the other detective take pictures of him standing there and what he's wearing. And I said, could you roll your sleeves up for me? And he rolls up the sleeves and as he rolled up his sleeves, he had a couple scratches on the inside of his forearms. And I go, where'd you get those? Oh, those, I was out doing yard work. They're blackberry bushes or something. And they weren't blackberry bush scratches. And I said, why don't you unbutton your shirt for us? And he unbuttons his shirt and takes it off. Right above his left nipple on his chest, he has a bite out of him that is like you would take a bite out of an apple. It's still freshly bleeding. And I go, what's that? He goes, well, it's kind of embarrassing. He goes, my wife bit me. I said, oh, really? We are really into rough role-playing sex, and we had really rough role-playing sex right before she went and had a glass of wine to cool off in the hot tub. Well, right now, everyone who's listening to this and me at the time was thinking bullshit. But I'm at the point now where I don't really know what caused her death because we haven't had an autopsy yet. So I just kind of played along with it and said, oh, really? Mm, okay. Any other injuries on you? And he said, no. And so he ends up letting us photograph his entire body. There's no other real injuries. But this bite on Randy's chest was a big deal. I mean, it was one of those fighting for your life things. It's not like I'm going to nibble on you a little bit, sex kind of thing. Can I ask you a question? Yes. When somebody drowns, is there any telltale blood coming out of the nose, in the mouth, anything like that? A lot of time there'll be, I call it comb foam, but basically there'll be a foamy substance in their nostrils and in their mouth a lot of times when they get stuff in their lungs, especially water. And she didn't have any of that? I never saw the body. By the time I got there, I, I never saw the body. So this is something that's going to go directly to the medical examiner at this point. So... Paula's body goes to the morgue, and we let Randy go home that night. But we had taken these photographs. I called the DA's office that night to let him know what was going on, that this autopsy was pending, and that my instincts were that this wasn't a rough sex, relaxation, hot tub afterwards, drowning. So then we started looking at a little bit of the history of those two, how long they'd been married. They hadn't been married all that long at the time and, and got married later in life. She'd achieved a lot in her life. She was a prominent person in the community. She had a lot of friends, including retired judges. Randy had been living with his mother all the way up into his early 40s and somehow found her, and that was kind of his meal ticket, I guess. So when he moves out of his mother's house is because he's marrying Paula. Yes. I see. And how old is she? 
She's in her 50s. And she had a lot of friends that were what you would call prominent members of the community. There was people at a university, and she had a pretty prestigious job there, which required her to make a lot of contacts in the public. Anyway, the autopsy was performed the next day. Actually, I attended the autopsy, and during the examination, she had small broken bones in her neck where she had been strangled. She also had seven contusions on her scalp. Basically, the theory was he had her by the hair and was beating her head against the edge of the hot tub. That you couldn't see because of her hair at the time, but they were significant bruising all the way down to the skull. According to the doc, probably would have actually knocked her out. He determined she did not even die of drowning. She died of strangulation. And Randy just put her in the water to make it look like that. So you would think at that point, all right, now's a good time to go talk to Randy about these things. And so it's Tuesday now. We go gather up Randy again, and of course, the first thing he wants to talk to is a lawyer. So we're done. We serve a search warrant on the house. There's a couple things we're looking for. One, we're trying to corroborate his story about this rough sex, see if they have any bondage stuff or any kind of porn in that realm or anything like that, and none of that whatsoever. We did find correspondence with her and a lawyer where Paul was trying to divorce Randy. Oh, And it was all fairly recent stuff. So it was really pretty obvious that this marriage was going south and it was his meal ticket. So the motive's right there. He has every reason to not want her around. If he gets rid of her before she divorces him, he probably gets to get the house and whatever else she might have been the beneficiary of. So it's really, to me, not a difficult case at all, but we're ready to arrest this guy for murder. And we run into a snag with the DA's office saying we're just not there yet. How can that be? The medical examiner said that she was strangled and she has seven obvious contusions on her head. Well, in law enforcement, sometimes these cases are real head scratchers for us too. It seems obvious to us. The DA ultimately makes that decision on whether or not they're going to indict for whatever charges. So depending on who your DA is, some are a little more risk averse than others. And going to trial is risky. Right. That would drive me. I couldn't. Wow. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, it's frustrating for investigators because where my barometer is of getting beyond a reasonable doubt and securing a conviction... It could be different for the prosecutor. Right, but, but, I mean, ah. We feel the same way. Yeah. Ugh. So I'm perplexed. The medical examiner's perplexed. And so we have a meeting with the medical examiner and the district attorney's office and myself. When we have a homicide, it's kind of all hands on deck. And we have a lot of people to contact on the peripheral of these cases, so I have them go out and do it. And they went out and made a lot of the contacts on a lot of the friends that they had about what kind of relationship they had or what they perceived the relationship to be. You mean you sent officers out to talk to Randy and Paula's friends, just trying to get this information about what the couple's relationship was like? Yes. And the funny thing is, none of these people that are in prominent positions believe for a second that Randy would kill his wife. They just didn't believe that because it was like, I don't know people that would do that. It was almost that kind of thing. And I'm going, oh, you do know people that will do that. Trust me. But anyway, so they went around and got all this information. And when we had this meeting, I brought one of them to tell what he had found about this not-so-blissful marriage that they had. 
And one of the district attorneys walked in while we were getting ready and we were starting to talk about the case. And he had already been privy to this conversation I had about what my detective had found out and referred to him while he was sitting right there as, I've already read what your douchebag detective came up with. What? Let me introduce you to my douchebag detective. He's right here. It was a pretty bright moment for me anyway. <laughs> He's standing right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was one of those moments. And our medical examiner here is a very, very knowledgeable guy. He's quirky as hell, but he's a very knowledgeable guy. He shows up to this meeting, and he gives his presentation, which is really good. And the DA's office is still sitting there standing like, well, how do you know she didn't fall? And he goes, seven times? He's just explaining this, and he goes, if you're not going to call this a murder, then the next time I get somebody that's coming here with stab wounds, no matter how many, how am I going to say they didn't fall on the knife? And they get into this big argument. And I'm standing there. There's lawyers and there's doctors and here's me. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. They go back and forth and back and forth. Anyway, they finally decide, okay, let's arrest Randy. So we end up arresting him and we end up getting more information about their relationship and the fact that Paula's going to divorce him. And it's coming together really good. And Paula had family in a city that was far away from here who came and we are getting ready to proceed with this. And then it comes to the time they're going to start talking about how to deal this away from a murder. Deal this? Plea deal between the DA's office and the defense. I see. But how can they do that? It was a murder. Yes. Randy, please not guilty. They will never let you just come in and plead guilty to murder. Why not? Well, a murder charge is about as bad as it gets. So these judges want to make sure that somebody's been well-informed of their choices. And upon your first court date, your first arraignment, for you to just come in and say, guilty, it just doesn't happen. They want attorneys and defense attorneys to have a look at the case first before they allow somebody to fall on the sword. What if they're like, no, I did it. I'm guilty of murder. Why is it different that a DA would get to try to negotiate a lesser charge than a suspect saying, no, I'm guilty, I did it. I just don't know of any situations that that's happened like that. I mean, they'll take a guilty plea, but it's not going to be at the initial arraignment. They'll take a guilty plea eventually, but basically to prevent an appeals process that could overturn whatever that guilty plea. It's like you got to check a bunch of boxes and do your due diligence. You got to do due diligence. A defense attorney has to have an opportunity to take a look at the case before they're going to allow that to happen. I see. So Randy pleads not guilty and then the long wait begins. And during this time, we're doing investigations all the time. And I talked to people who were prominent people, some of whom were ex-judges and current judges, and they still could not believe that Randy murdered Paula. They just can't believe they know someone like that. One of these judges actually asked me, he goes, how sure are you that this actually happened? And I said, I'm so sure I'd bet my life on it. And he thought that was inappropriate, that I had made up my mind so much about this. It was like I was supposed to be neutral all the way to the end. You start out neutral, but you don't end up that way. You end up getting all the information. And to me, this was so plain and so obvious and so not well thought out. And this whole rough sex deal, that's how I got a bite out of my chest, was just a bunch of crap. Crap, yeah. It was not even close to being that. Now, was her hyoid bone broken? Mm-hmm. One of the telltale signs of strangulation, right? Yeah. 
Yes. So backing up a little bit, at the house, Randy called 911. Yes. Did you listen to the 911 call? I did, yes. We actually have that call. Let's have a listen, shall we? Nine one one with your address, the emergency. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Um, I just went out and I found my my wife in our hot tub. Mm-hmm. I think she's yeah. dead. Okay. Are you outside with her right now? Or are you back in the house? I'm in the house. Is she conscious at all? No, she's yeah. quite kind of stiff. When did you last see her? Um, nine or nine thirty. We were in the hot tub together and I got out. Okay. Are you able to take the phone outside to her? Yeah. Have you gotten her out of the hot tub? I just pulled her up and, and kind of hung her arm over the side. Okay, do you want to attempt to get her out and do CPR? Do you think that you can do that? Uh, no, I think it's uh, beyond time. Okay. okay, we've got the paramedics there right now. Okay. Is there anyone else there with you or are you home alone? Home alone. Does she have any medical problems? Uh, yeah, she's... Um, just lately she went to the eye doctor for some sort of shadow she's had in her eye and she's... Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been unsteady. She's she's got a um, bad hearing in one ear, and it, it, it's affected her balance. Okay. Could have been minor, or I guess maybe another major. Okay. Did they know what the problem was with her eyes? Uh, at the eye doctor, they said it was uh, something with aging or something. Okay. It was like she'd look out of the side of her eye, and it was like something would cross over a dark shadow or something would cross her eye. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they hadn't determined what it was yet? or it just... They just said it was something to do with aging. Okay. Okay, would you be able to unlock the door? Yeah. They turn the outside lights for them, when they get there, they're going to want to come, and yeah. the police will come to help you and assist you with that, and the paramedics come just, you know, they need to check her and make absolutely sure there's nothing they could do to help her. Okay. Okay. Was she complaining of any any pain, anything like that today? Anything that led up to no? Um, everything pretty normal. Uh, yeah, we had sexual relations. Um, not to. Okay. And you left that she was going to stay in for a while. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I. I. Uh, I uh, I have to say, that guy, Randy, sounds like he called up some appliance shop to complain about his refrigerator not working. His tone is so casual. And then the dispatcher is also casual, but her job is just to take down the information. Do you think she actually believes what he was telling her? A couple things. I think she believes Randy. She doesn't have enough information at this point to really form an opinion, but I guarantee that she's struck by his casual tone. He's almost flippant at times during that call. Honestly, it doesn't sound like he's talking about his dead wife. Well, and we've talked about it on this podcast before. The emotional event is over. He's discovered her dead. But... I don't understand how, you know, 20 minutes later, you sound like, yeah, my um, my refrigerator just, it seems it's warm now. It's not working. If you put yourself in Randy's shoes, he's just killed this woman. And now he's trying to figure out, how do I not get caught? So his brain's on a different wavelength. He has escaped 
that emotional state at this point. And now he's probably got a lot of anxiety. Maybe some panic has set in of, oh God, how do I clean this up? So it looks like an accident. So his, you know, left brain, right brain, I'm not a psychologist. I'm far from a scientist or a doctor. But he's multitasking like crazy is what you're saying. Yeah. I think he overlooked the fact that if he would have shown a little emotion in this call, it would have benefited him. Sure. But I think he's stuck in that anxiety of, I know the police are coming. I'm going to have to talk to the police. And... They're going to have questions. A lot of questions. And I think any investigator who listens to this 911 call, it raises your eyebrows. Right. Good point. Yeah. I listened to it way after the fact I had talked to everybody, so I wasn't surprised at what I heard. And Detective George, during the investigation, when Paula's funeral came, you went to her funeral. And why don't you explain to why you went to the funeral? You go for a couple different reasons, but one of which is just to listen and hear what other people are saying, what suspicions they have, what information they have that hasn't been disclosed, the stuff they may share amongst each other that they don't want to tell the cops for whatever reasons, privacy reasons or otherwise. So you interact with people and just kind of see what's being said, see if it leads you a direction to, one, either eliminate a suspect or focus more on a particular suspect. And what did you see at Paula's funeral? A lot of what Sergeant Dave has already explained. A lot of people that just could not believe it happened. And then surmising, you know, because it's a drowning, those are often the hardest cases to prove when it's just a simple drowning. And looking for the other evidence is the important part. But at the time, they weren't aware of the forensic evidence, the bite marks, the fractured hyoid bone. They just thought drowning, there's no way that Randy could have done this. She must have just drowned. And it's hard to prove otherwise, typically, if it's just water involved. A lot of the conversations were about that. It's interesting that it seems as though a fair portion of their disbelief means that would reflect badly on me. It's exactly the vibe I got. Like, I'm above living with people who are capable of murder, especially from judges. You guys see this every day. And I talked to more than one judge in this case, and you hear it every day. But I think there's such a separation. Like, that's what those people do. My people that I live in this world don't do that. And it's kind of sad. It's kind of naive in a way. And it actually kind of got to be a little bit of a barrier in this case because a lot of these people are people that people in the prosecution world know very well. And when they start talking about doing this case, I wonder, and this is strictly my opinion, if they were really kind of adverse to even having a trial because of it, because all these people would have to come and testify about all of this stuff, and then their name is associated with something that's in the paper as a murder trial. All these fancy elites. Yes. Like, they're friends with and having cocktails with a couple, one of which killed the other. And I just don't think they wanted anything to do with that. And instead of honoring Paula, because she fought for her life. I mean, fought hard. She bit half his boob off. (laughs) And it's like, I don't understand why you wouldn't realize that. I always think about people and their victims of the terror and the fear they went through right before they got killed. And that kind of stuff should stick with people. And they should, you know, try to get some kind of atonement for that if you're going to do something like this. Right. You're looking over the fence from your yard into Paula and Randy's backyard and you're watching this. What would you have seen? And you would have seen Paula kicking, screaming, trying to scream, and clawing her way to get air and get him off of her. Those are her last moments, and that's what he's capable of. 
Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. It's gonna be summer soon, so the potential for stinky pits is imminent. That's why I really love Lumi. I'm obsessed with their sweat control, cream deodorant. I think I've said this so many times, but honest to God, I never thought I'd use a cream deodorant because they're sloppy and gloppy and sticky and bleh. But Lumi isn't any of those things. It dries quickly, it's never sticky, and it doesn't leave any white streaks on my dark clothing. So all of those things are a win for me. If you're not familiar with Lumi, let me tell you a few things. Six years ago, an OBGYN invented her game-changing whole body deodorant, and now it has over 300,000 five-star reviews from people like me. Lumi is baking soda-free, paraben-free, and pH balanced, so it's safe for your pits and your bits, which means you can use it below the belt. They have a lovely variety of fresh, bright scents like clean tangerine, my favorite, lavender sage, or toasted coconut. And the secret to Lumi's success is it's formulated and powered by mandelic acid. That's how it stops odor before it starts. So, small town fam, Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, my fave, and two free products of your choice, like mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. And on top of that, as a special offer for listeners, new customers get 15% off all Lumi products with our exclusive code, which is small town. And if you combine the 15% off with the already discounted starter pack, that equals over 40% off the starter pack. So use code small town for 15% off your first purchase at lumideodorant.com. That's code small town at L-U-M-E deodorant.com. Do it. Hey, small town fam, it's Yardley. I want to talk about Pros. Pros is the custom hair and skin beauty brand where you get on their website, answer a bunch of questions about where you live and how old you are, what kind of hair you have, what kind of hair you want to have. And then from millions of possible formulas, they create a formula just for you. So I'm lucky I have a lot of hair. Most days, my hair is the boss of me. So I need shampoo and conditioner that gets my hair to calm down a little bit. So I've been using Pros for a while, and one of my favorite things about it is you can choose your scent. They have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and then adjusts the formula. Also, Pros is a certified B Corp. It's cruelty-free, and it's the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. So it's not only better for you, it's better for the planet. So, small town fam, Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash town. That's right. You get your free consultation and then 50% off at pros.com slash town. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash town. Do it. Hey, folks. Detective Dave here. Let me tell you about Simply Safe, the home security system that I trust to keep my family safe. I depend on Simply Safe to provide me and my loved ones with 360 degree coverage of my property and valuables. I love the variety of monitoring sensors available with Simply Safe Home Security. 
you get a glass break sensor, which in my experience is one of the most effective tools of detecting a break-in. In addition, Simply Safe offers motion sensors, entry sensors, sirens, and flood and fire detection. With Simply Safe Home Security, I have the flexibility to use keypads at multiple entries at my house. This option is especially important to me and my family. I can provide access to people I trust and limit having multiple keys outside of my control, all at the push of a button via the Simply Safe app. It comes with a variety of cameras for indoors and outdoors. And best of all, Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than $1 a day. It gives me peace of mind knowing I can leave the house, I can leave town, I can even leave the country, and I know my home is simply safe. The mobile app integration makes it so easy to make sure everything's in place in real time. I check it every day when I'm away from home. Simply Safe is the best. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe Best Home Security Systems 2024, and Newsweek ranked it Best Customer Service in Home Security. With Simply Safe, there are no contracts. And if you're not happy with the service or the product, they have a 60 day money back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind. We want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/slash smalltown. That's simplysafe.com/slash smalltown. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Going back to the search warrant or the initial investigation when patrol arrives at the scene, Randy's got this bite mark on his chest. A lot of blood, I'm guessing. It needed medical attention. That's how bad it was. Really? And he's not asking for any of that? Mm-mm. Because he doesn't want you to know? Nope. Any blood evidence out on a patio or the area surrounding this hot tub or... No. It had all been cleaned up. It had all been cleaned up. Which is another sign that Randy's trying to cover up things. And that's the thing, you know, if you're having this so-called rough sex, there should be evidence of that somewhere, you know, in the house. But there really wasn't. And one of the things back to the people in their circle is when you send your detectives out there, you give them all the information that they have up to this time, especially about what he said about explaining his injuries. And those are things that are uncomfortable questions. They have to ask people, like there are people that are close to him. Do you know anything about their sex life? A lot of people don't want to talk about that, but when the girlfriends and the dudes get together, I'm sure that there's all kinds of that talk. And it becomes important at some point to disprove what he's saying because I would have been blown away if they had rough sex like that. And it was just a total, total lie. And that's the importance of that initial conversation that Sergeant Dave had with him that night. Sometimes you're not going to be able to make that arrest right away, but getting that initial statement, locking Randy into a statement. And at that point, it may be disproving a lie as opposed to getting a confession. That's sometimes just as important when you can pile up evidence to disprove the lie. Right. Also, Randy said that the scratches on his arms were from gardening and blackberry bushes. You knew that not to be true. Did they get fingernail scrapings? Yes, it was him. But you go back, if you're going to be the defense lawyer, you said, yeah, we were having rough sex. She bit me and scratched me. Except that he said it was blackberry bushes, but never mind. Yeah, Randy lies about that part. Then when we see the bite mark, he's like, oh, that's not from the blackberries. You got to scramble for an explanation. Yeah, and that's the best he could do. And then you have this lapse between letting him go that night, and he knows we know that he's got injuries, and we've got pictures of him, and he's got an explanation for him. Also, after the autopsy, then the cops come back, and now it's been said, 
no, I don't want to talk to you guys right now. And that's it for us. So those initial conversations, like Detective George said, are so important. Any information is better than no information. And at least you have something to either talk to close friends or relatives about or anybody else that you can, like I said, disprove something that he said. And did you confront him about the, well, you said it was blackberry bushes, but she has your skin under her fingernails? No, because after that, he'd already asked for a lawyer, and we are not allowed to talk to him anymore about that. And he didn't go to trial because he pled out, yes? So, yeah, and this investigation is continuing. He's locked up, and I find out that during the negotiations, they're looking at charging him with manslaughter in the first degree, which is a 10-year sentence. And my thought was, good luck selling that to Paul's son. Because in my opinion, if your mother or your loved one, wife, husband is killed, if you're going to start talking about plea agreements, it should be all run through the person who's the spokesman for the family. They get the first choice about that. I don't think it's up to the DA's office or the police department to decide what to plead. If there's a plea deal on the table, it should be run straight through the family. Would the DA do that? They do, but... Not if they want any objection. I mean, if they're afraid they're going to get an objection, then are they inclined not to run it by the family members? I think they sell it different. Yeah, it's all about selling it. These things come up because there's court-mandated settlement conferences in which a judge says, you come in and tell me what you think to the prosecutor, and a judge says the same thing to the defense attorney. You tell me what you think, and they have a mandated settlement conference, and that's where these conversations of manslaughter start coming from, originating. and Then it becomes a prosecutor's responsibility to try to sell it or explain it to the family of why that's the best option. How did that go in this case? Well, in my opinion, and this is my opinion from observing, I think everyone wanted just to go away, including her son. And they thought 10 years was a pretty hefty price. And... I'm not going to interject myself in there and try to talk Paul's son out of that or anybody out of that. I wasn't involved in that part of it. I just know that the DA's office and him got together, and I was told that he was fine with 10 years. The son was all right with it. And the son is from her previous marriage, I'm guessing? Yes. This was a stepfather killing his mother. And when court time came for sentencing, I went to sentencing. I don't know why I went. I just kind of wanted to watch and be there. And when it came time to be sentenced, Randy was sentenced, and he had some words to say. And he basically got up and said he apologized for, quote, murdering his wife I had no right to. And I'm sitting in that courtroom watching a guy. Why, as a son, if I was sitting in there and I heard someone admit to murdering my mother, and this is no disrespect it's just that 10 years isn't going to cut it. And once he has been given that deal, even though he gets up and says, I had no right to murder my wife, which is a different charge than manslaughter. Absolutely. They can't say, oh, wait, oh, shit, what? And then charge him for murder because that's double jeopardy. The deal is in. Yeah. And if you really look at the manslaughter statute, what happened to her doesn't even fit. Right. Manslaughter is something that seems accidental, right? Unintended. Or reckless, or I guess you could, you know, I I don't know. No, no, Sergeant David, no, this is not that. Well, if you're a lawyer, you can make it work. Creative writing.
So Randy got just 10 years for killing Paula. Yes. Is he still in prison? So I just looked him up. Earliest release date is next month. Yeah. That would be for good behavior or what? No, it's a day for day thing. That's when he's going to get out. Yeah. I wonder if he'll go back and live with his mom. Damn. And he's got a missing nipple. (laughs) And did Randy ever say why he killed Paula? Randy said later on in this whole thing that Paula was just constantly running him down and bitching at him and telling him how worthless he was. And he finally couldn't handle it anymore. And, of course, he can't probably do it toe-to-toe with her. He's got to be down in the hot tub with her and takes her on then. And she put up a hell of a fight. Go, Paula. That's just... Yeah, you just feel sorry for her. And we've talked about domestic violence. The leaving is the hardest part. And it sounds like she was right on the cusp. I'm guessing that she was going to kick him out of the house. Yeah. She was a total breadwinner. He didn't have a job. That's what shows on the domestic violence cases, how it happens to any socioeconomic group, any population. It doesn't matter where you live or who you are. It can happen, and it elevates to this level. But that was the same type of attitude that gives us the pushback when we're trying to figure out who did it, that nobody could believe it could happen in that level of people. But that domestic violence stuff doesn't uh, see those type of barriers. It happens everywhere. Dave and I, with our family, will talk about cases, and you even see the difference in our family where they're just in disbelief. They're just not aware that people do those kinds of things. And when you're exposed to it so much, it's such a reality for us, all four of us, that I think a lot of people, they don't relate to that. Sometimes it's tough. Well, people live in a bubble and it's a good thing. To me, it's a good thing if they can live in a bubble, but they need to be aware of the bubble gets popped sometimes and that making it act like it didn't happen isn't going to make it go away. And, you know, I think if the police department's doing a really good job and we're doing our job and we're out there, then people can live in their bubble. But the reality of it is, is the bubble gets popped a lot of times for people. That's really well said. Well, Sergeant David, it's always a pleasure. And Detective Sergeant Lieutenant George. (laughs) Who knows what it'll be next time, right? Ladder climber. He's moving on up. Got an Acme rocket up his ass. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Don't take that from them. I'm off work right now. He can't order me to do shit. (laughs) (laughs) At least say goodbye. Thanks for coming on, George and Sergeant David. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Absolutely, guys. Good to see both of you. Always good. All right. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Small Town Dicks is produced by Gary Scott and Yardley Smith and co-produced by Detectives Dan and Dave. This episode was edited by Soren Bajan, Gary Scott, and me, Yardley Smith. Our associate producers are Aaron Gaynor and The Real Nick Smitty. Our music is composed by John Forrest. Our editors extraordinaire are Logan Heftel and Soren Bajan. And our books are cooked and cats wrangled by Ben Cornwell. If you like what you hear and want to stay up to date with the show, visit us on our website at smalltowndicks.com. Small Town Dicks would like to thank Speech Docs for providing transcripts of this podcast. You can find these transcripts on our episode page at smalltowndicks.com. And for more information about Speech Docs and their service, please go to speechdocs.com. And join the Small Town fam by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Small Town Dicks. We love hearing from you. 
And if you support us on Patreon, your subscription will give you access to exclusive content and merchandise that isn't available anywhere else. Go to patreon.com slash smalltowndickspodcast. That's right. Your subscription also makes it possible for us to keep going to small towns across the country in search of the finest, rare, true crime cases told, as always, by the detectives who investigated them. So thanks for listening, small town fam. Nobody's better than you.